Greetings and salutations. This is another episode of Rob Observations. Hello, everybody. I am Rob Liefeld. This is my podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging with me. If if comic books and superheroes and sci-fi and fantasy is your thing, you have come to the right place. We have got a uh, fun episode today, I think. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, these last, uh, as we close out the year, these last few episodes are going to be more of the personal nature. Um, uh, it'll, it'll, it'll still, you know, coalesce around all these different subjects, but a uh, little, little bit more reflective and, 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 and looking inward to, uh, to share some more experience kind of based uh, uh, discussion uh, uh, topics and, and when you work in a field for 35 years, as I have, I mean, I, I feel like I literally graduated high school. And uh, while I was in high school, I, I was delivering pizzas. It was a blast. Back then, people tipped really good. They tipped cash. Um, my buddy Jeff had a pizza place. It was uh, brand new. It wasn't a chain. It wasn't like Pizza Hut or Shakey's or whatever you guys have, wherever you were at. And, uh, and, and. And you know, delivering pizzas was fun. That 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 was my high school job when I graduated, and I, I really had to come to the realization the other day. And uh, while while when I was a child, when I was a kid, uh, and my dad was a a full time pastor, we lived pretty good. I thought we were kind of you know middle class, middle upper middle class even. We, we, you know, a uh, couple of cars, ni- nice house, in a in a pretty decent neighborhood. Um, we had friends, uh, who were definitely, uh, on the wealthy side or, you know, do better. I mean, you know, you know, when you're a kid, the pecking order and who, who does better than who else, who, who, uh, you know, than, than, than your family or other families. And also who, who's maybe less off. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're, they don't have as nice, uh, a stuff and, and, but I felt like we were just, you know, it, it, it was a, it was a really good living. Um, Greed is not something that I've ever seen exhibited by anyone in my family. Uh, we weren't greedy. We didn't want shiny, nice things or opulent objects to create envy in other people. It's just not part of, I think, either my mom or my dad's side of the family. I think my family was more achievement-minded uh, achievement in 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 in. In, in their goals rather than how much money can I make? I mean, certainly if you're going to be a pastor and you're going to live on a pastor's salary, you're not, you know, you're not out trying to make money, at least from my perspective, having lived that life. But once my dad went in for his, uh, his, his operations and nine months in a coma, I've covered this before. I was 10 years old. It was most of 1978. Uh, he never kind of was the same guy, great guy, sweet, sweet guy, but a uh, little, little more unsure of himself, not not as bold uh, a, a person. But the, the point I'm getting to is uh, there were other complications down the line. And by the time uh, my senior year rolled around, I was sleeping on the couch in a one-bedroom apartment with my sister so that I could finish out my senior year in high school because my parents had moved. My dad had taken a job in Chicago, uh, you know, Long and the short of it, my dad was part of a family business, uh, and and if you got and if you fall out with the head of the family business, you know, 
things aren't going to go so hot. But then there was further health complications. And again, my senior year, and then for pretty much most of the remaining 80s. So I'd say from 1984 to 1989, we were poor. <laughs> we were we were poor. Uh, in the mid-80s, uh, right after high school, I would take on, I would keep my pizza delivering career. <laughs> my career. My career as a pizza delivery boy. Um, that was like three or four nights a week, as much as I could, really. I worked construction six days a week. Worked with a fun bunch of guys uh, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a construction outfit in Fullerton. You, that means you were on site. You were at the office uh, at 6 a.m. to get your assignment. Every day it changed. And you would uh, then be redirected on the road. Generally work till 4 every day. Wrap it up maybe 3.30, 3.45. Get back by 4, 4.30, 4.45, depending on traffic. And be home. So then that would give me my evenings. I would draw. I would I would use some of those nights when I wasn't delivering pizzas to draw. Then towards the end of 1985, my friends were all getting jobs at a restaurant in Fullerton called the Melody Inn as busboys. And one of us actually made it as high as waiter. But I uh, I worked as a busboy as well because it was it was fun being with the other guys. And and uh, man, it was just super uh, super fun. So I, I started. The nights that I wasn't uh, delivering pizzas, I was busing with my friends. And then uh, again, I was working uh, Monday through Saturday construction. Where did I get the time to draw? Uh, you know, I, I, I found it wherever I could as often as I could. And uh, a lot of Sundays, a lot of Sundays uh, drawing. And, and again, there was always one day, one night a week. Uh, I, I had extra time that I could put into pursuing uh, my my dream of becoming a comic book person, but but during this time I'm now with my parents in an apartment, uh, and and uh, I mean we're just we're barely getting by. I'm contributing to the bot contributing to the bottom line, and by the time I'm on New Mutants, I'm making a good comic book income. It really started with Hawk and Dove, but it it it, it started you know my my comic book income started to increase and expand and. You know, I was talking to my son yesterday and he's getting a, a nice, you know, paycheck for being in this Disney movie that he's currently acting in that'll be out last, uh, next year. But he's like, he's expressing to us how fortunate he is that he, he's going to keep his room right now at our house and save up while he does acting gigs in, in, in hopes to build for his future. Um, obviously, we have a house. He has his room that he's had, you know, as a kid here. Uh, we had an apartment that we uh, got into. And uh, I mean, we, we had, it, it felt like the rug had been pulled out from underneath us. And so we were very, uh, my mom worked as a secretary. My dad, uh, upon returning back here with his, after his second uh, uh, brain surgery, if, if I've never really dwelled on it, uh, my parents flew out from Chicago to attend my high school graduation and I, they wanted to set me aside and tell me that my dad's tumors had regrown. And if I could accompany them back after graduation and stay with them the summer of 1985, which is, of course, I'm a dutiful son. I love my dad and my mom. I'm going to do that. So that's what I did. I graduated. I said goodbye to my girlfriend. I said goodbye to all my friends that I thought I was going to have the most kick-ass, righteous, awesome senior summer 
And I got on a plane and I went to a place I'd never been before. And I lived in Illinois with my family as my dad immediately went in for another uh, brain surgery to remove more tumors. And the uh, this time we had state-of-the-art, not 1978 science, 1985 science, a great Italian doctor named Dr. Rimbaldi. And Dr. Rimbaldi was a first-class pro. And my dad was in and out of the hospital within like eight days. And then I would stay with my dad uh, every day the summer of uh, June, July, and August of 1985. There was a comic store that I drove to once a week. I, I, I uh, got as many comic books as I could. Uh, I, I watched a lot of movies, checked out a lot of VCR tapes. There was a couple uh, you know, kids that I became friends with and tooled around with. My parents knew some friends from my childhood, so I was able to really hang out and have a good time. And, and, and that summer really actually went by much faster. I drove into Chicago. I, I learned all about deep dish pizza. Um, I had Gino's East. I, I, I fell in love with Gino's East pizza so much that I, in 1985, uh, that afternoon drove into Gino's East to uh, get a large pizza. And then I flew it home with me so that my friends could taste it. Um, you know, I had it packed in the box and then I put that box in a box and I carried it with me on the flight so that it was with me the whole time. And, you know, I mean, at that point, you know, probably traveled six, seven hours um, and then nuked it up for them. And they're like, oh my gosh. And, and, and trust me, it was delicious. I had had Gino's East pizza all summer long and that was fantastic. Gino's, I had, you know, I'm uh, Giordano's, that's the other one I had. Um, look, I, it was fun. Chicago was fun. It was, it was the most expansive my world had been since, you know, I was a kid and I went on road trips to Arizona and New Mexico with my, with my family. Uh, but that was my summer job. And, and I think then I, I, I just, I had encountered such profound disappointment when I, I realized I wouldn't be going to the beach and hanging with my friends. I wouldn't be where I had always been my entire life in Southern California. I was in fact upended and did so out of responsibility and, uh, you know, love and affection for my family. But when we got back to Southern California, I came back in September and started the construction job back to delivering pizzas and eventually the busboy job I just told you guys about. Once I, I, I came back in the fall and did that, uh, my, uh, my parents came back before Thanksgiving and that's when we got the uh, apartment. And it was sad. It was sad. I remember when we had our cool house and you know, that, that's all I had known until my junior, late in my junior year when things kind of started to fall apart for my family on multiple fronts. But, uh, you know, I got hired uh, in comic books when I was 18, in April of, you know, 87. And by November, October of 87, I was being published. And uh, that was great. That was a breakthrough for me. Uh, I graduated when I was 17 years old. The June of 1985, I was 17 years old. Uh, so, so, so it was, um, so I turned 18 in October of 1985. Uh, and, and so just, just really great, fun times, fun, fun memories. Um, yeah, that, that it was, uh, it was, it was just a really fun time, but it started me on my career of which I have now been in comic books for 35 years. But I, it's made me appreciate so much along the way. And did I become part of a peer group 
where we then went on to each make millions of dollars. And yes, each image founder uh, over the course of 1992-1993 started making seven figures and it was ridiculous. The money was insane. The opportunities were amazing. You've uh, heard me cover my career that took me to Will Smith's house, Tom Cruise's uh, uh, resident flying all over the country where Tom Cruise was filming, uh, took me to Steven Spielberg's house, to his house in the Palisades in 1997. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's been a crazy, crazy journey. It's taken me to the movie set. It's taken me to, you know, see Ryan Reynolds embody, uh, the, the Deadpool character that, that, that was, you know, an instant sensation the minute you guys picked him up in comic books, you know, and on his way to becoming toys and video games and, and cartoons, he became a blockbuster, you know, worldwide phenom. But over 35 years, I've learned a lot. And uh, I would like to think that it puts me in a position where I could share some of that with you guys. And I'm going to share some of that with you guys today. So this is like, uh, I think I think there was an author named Mitch Album, Mitch Album. And he's like, the five things I learned in heaven? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm making that up. Um, but this isn't the five things you learned in heaven. This is the five things I've learned in comic books, okay? And again, my perspective on all this was formed in the fact that, I, again, we were dirt poor uh, before I <clears throat> broke in to comics. I, had, um, I needed a cosigner for my car. Because I was too young and I didn't have good enough credit, um, you know, I, I took on small loans. Uh, my wife loves to remind me that I borrowed money from her. She was a on a Disney contract, um, three year Disney contract, and she overheard me budgeting. This is back when we were friends, right before we were dating, and she said, "Hey, if I can loan you this money, if you promise to repay me and with some interest." And I did it, and she always laughs that like you, I gave you a loan and you repaid me. Um, you know, so, so I was beg borrowing and stealing. And if this makes me more relatable to you, I'm happy. Um, but the bottom line is it, it, I don't need to be more relatable to you. It's just my truth. And drawing comic books kind of saved my life, gave me a path. It was obviously my passion and my obsession. And here's my thing about comic books, where I think the people who do comic books, who write them, who pencil them, who ink them, who letter them, why they are, uh, we are more like Peter Pan people, like what, like we didn't grow up. And more so than, you're like, well, well, people who make movies, they're, they're just like you and people who make TV and people who make, you know, they're just like you, Rob. They didn't grow up. They're making fun fantasies. I'm going to actually put that to the test. See, I get up every day and there are days I don't leave my house and that's how it's always been. There are days in my 35 years and longer than that, trying to break in, you know, that I have never, ever left my house. I have never, ever, uh, it, there, there could be two solid days that I do not, I do not drive away from my property. And, uh, that's because I'm, you know, my, I, I get my food in the kitchen. I, I make my meal. I, I go about my drawing and my, uh, my creating in my office space, in my bean bags, in different rooms in the house, on the couch. I've always drawn with a lap board, so I'm not uh, confined to the desk at any great time. I mean, I've probably spent the least amount of time at a drawing board uh, than, than any other means. I draw primarily from the lap board and this current lap board I've had going on plus 30 years. So, and it's got ink and whiteout and all sorts of uh, wear and tear on it. 
to, to, to prove that point. But uh, the thing is, if you're making a movie, you know, again, because I was talking to my son today, he had just wrapped for the day on the scene that he was shooting and he was on location. He was driven to his car. He got in his car. He had to clear out, uh, oh, prior to that, he had to sign out that he had received his COVID test. Then he went to the gate, had to clear security, uh, and then drive back to his quarters where he's living and, you know, prepare for the next day. When you are making a movie, you are going to drive to a location or you're going to drive to a soundstage. So you're going to leave your house, you're going to get in your car. You're going to clear a security guard. You're going to get parked. You're going to walk in. You're going to get. You're going to prepare your gear. You're going to, um, you know, assemble with others. Plan the shots. If you're the boom mic person, if you're the electricity uh, guy, uh, if 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 you're you're the camera operator, um, you are going to go and assimilate some form of uh, of of like like labor. Okay, even if you're the actor, okay, you're going to, again, you're going to clear the gate, clear security, go to the studio, be escorted on, go to your room, people with makeup, with script supervisor, uh, talk to the director. It's very communal. And it has certain tenets of what we call the workforce. My friends who write comics and who've written them for the last 20, 25 years, they pop open their laptop, they sit in there office and they create stories and imagination. My friends like myself who write and draw our comic books sit down with a blank sheet of paper and we fill it from, you know, with, from our notes down to left to right. And we fill up a book and we may never leave the house all day long. And we may bump into our toys and our games and our comic books. And, you know, the furthest I may make it outside the house is the backyard of the trash can or in deep into the garage to, to, to burrow through and find some comics some comics from my youth that I want to revisit it, revisit. I really believe that what we do is the most like never grow up, uh, uh, Peter Pan type existence, the comic book existence. I understand now that game people, a lot, especially since the pandemic, probably special effects are, 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 you are doing this from a remote location. So indeed now, rather than go into, um, you know, like here in Orange County, we have Activision, you know, those people haven't been going into that office, those amazing offices, Blizzard. Um, they haven't been going into the Blizzard offices. It's all remote. So so by now, I see that that has a correlation. But filmed entertainment, television movies, again, have more um, aspects of the workforce. Whereas again, if you're just getting up and you're not leaving your house and you're staying in the same room and you're creating the magic of your imagination and bringing it to life, there is something about that that is very... Um, childlike wish fulfillment. And so uh, in keeping with this idea of, 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 you know, kind of the isolationism of comic books, and, and if that's really what you want, you know, and, and maybe even to go further into this, maybe, maybe you're still eating burgers and pizza and you really, your diet didn't grow up either. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's all sorts of applications and possibilities here. I still, I maintain comic books, is the ultimate wish fulfillment, I don't want to grow up vocation, uh, whether you're a writer, artist, anchor, you know, fill in the blank. And it's cool. And I'm telling you that because I love it. It's one of the things I absolutely love about this gig. So here are 
Here are the five things that I'm going to share with you. Five things that I have learned in comic books in 35 years. And I'm going to, um, I'm going to start with, um, they're, they're really kind of all, in my opinion, important. Uh, number one, overpay talent when you can, if you can. And, uh, that's what I've always, you know, ascribed to, um, I, this last year, got the opportunity to add more new talent to my, uh, you know, experience. Um, I'm always looking on, uh, looking for new talent to share. Uh, I mean, five years ago, a brilliant colorist, color artist, digital painter named Romulo Fajardo, actually, Romulo and I have been jamming since 2013, so it's almost seven to eight years with Romulo. But Romulo became my go-to guy. But in my paranoid, you know, mind, I'm like, well, what if Romulo, you know, either gets tired of me, gets sick, something happens to him, he he's not available anymore, you know, figure it out. So I really decided that I would start, you know, expanding. And so now it's been almost six years that I've worked with a guy named Federico Blee. He's called, he calls himself Toonfed. Um, I, in the last two years was awakened to a brilliant colorist named J. David Ramos, and he has been coloring a bunch of stuff for me. A gentleman by the name of Brian Valenza is someone who came into my orbit about 15 months ago, and I have been actively, uh, 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 working with him. He colored primarily, uh, the, 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 the X-Force kill shot. Uh, 30th anniversary X-Force edition that's coming out in, in the next week that I'll definitely be devoting an entire show to um, next week. I, I, I'm very excited to share this with you guys. Um, along the way, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking some, some, some new, new talent um, as well. And, and just this last summer, um, I, uh, I, I, I interacted with a number of, of different, um, different colorists. One is Mirza. Mirza Wirawan, okay, and 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 then there's a, another uh, another lovely uh, uh, colorist that I just I I I again I was looking around I I was I was um I was I was I was trying to see like like uh, you know like who, who else who else could I could I could I get to um uh you know have jump on board the team. And and, uh, and 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 jam with because again I, I just I want to constantly constantly be adding to to uh, you know to 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 the to the team and uh, I I was fortunate enough to find a wonderful uh, new colorist and uh, <clears throat> add her to 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 the crew and uh, you know we we. It's just, you know, one after the other, I'm just, uh, I just continue to be completely and totally, uh, blessed by all of this amazing, amazing talent that I've been able to, to interact with. And, and, and the reason being one of the things I'm always confident in is when I call all of this talent is I know, I know, uh, oh man, I, I completely left out. Uh, 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 oh my man, my, my, my buddy, uh, <laughs> the, the, I'm, I'm going to get these names. I'm going to share them. 
Um, oh, I'm leaving all sorts of people out. I knew I knew it was mu- a much much longer longer list. Michael Olbach, uh, he colored uh, some Snake Eyes covers, some Marvel covers for me. He's fantastic. I I I added um him him to my to my you know to 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 the crew that that I jam with. Um, the 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 uh, I mean, there's just been so many different uh, great. Uh, talent that I've been able to jam with and and I'm telling you the one thing that I always am able to greet them with is some of the best page rates that they've received because I respect what they do so much and and in some cases I will go 50% and higher over their best rates that they're currently getting and you go well why do you do that life why do you do that well I do that so that they know how much I appreciate them and that they um, are 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 extri- that they're excited, um, you know that they that they're excited to be uh, to be you know in, in business with me because it, it's 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 so it's so fun to jam with new artists. Marcello Maiolo is an, is one of the other colors that I added. He did a bunch of covers, some interiors. He covered some of my shield stuff, some of my snake eye stuff, my Deadpool covers. He's fantastic. He covered uh, he covered a cover on X Force. Um, I mean, it it has been such a uh, a fun experience jamming with all of these different uh, colorists. I mean, I, Michael Olbach, Marcello. Again, you got to give me. I, I, there there are so many people. You know, I I just have to I just have to um you know uh uh you know be able to to uh you know, to, to focus because, because the, the list has grown. Natalia Souza is the wonderful colorist that I took a flyer on. I, I saw her stuff through a Facebook contact. I reached out. She colored one cover. It was great. I gave her another. That was great. I gave her another. So far, it's just been colors, um, covers, but they're great. They're fun. And, and I always, again, I meet these people with, again, 50% better than what they're getting from the major publishers. Because I get to pay them myself out of my budgets, and I just want to make sure that they know how much I appreciate them, and also then that they value that relationship with me, and know that Rob Liefeld, who is an artist himself, values me fill in the blank as an artist. There have been inkers and pencilers that I do the same, but the most because I've taken to really inking so much of my own work. Uh, this last year, I have worked less with inkers in the last year than I have in previous years. And for about a decade, I wasn't working with inkers at all anymore. When I just started to take on more talent uh, and, and sorry, when I started to take on more assignments and I needed the collaborations with more talent. So I was looking to interact with other inkers and I've been reunited with guys like Chance Wolf with Corey Hampshire. And I was able to pay these guys better than their existing rates because I respect them and I like them. And again, it just goes to the motto of if you can, you know, overpay someone, do so. And what I mean by overpay, if they've got a rate that they've established with another publisher and they share it with you, uh, if you can do better than that, why wouldn't you? They're artists. You're an artist. Uh, Even if you're in a publishing head, you're going to get so much more out of them. And I'm not terribly demanding and, and, and literally in terms of color and, and from Romulo, 
who I still work with, who I think is fantastic, who has like set me on this course, set, raised the bar so high that I went out and I got a Michael Olbach and I got a Marcello and I got a Natalia and I worked with a J. David Ramos and I worked with Brian Valenza and a Federico Bli. Romulo did that. He raised that bar. And I am always happy to, when they tell me their rate, be able to deliver double that. In, at the very least, I am always bringing a hefty um, overpayment. And I guess it's artist guilt, but it works and it makes other people feel good and it makes them feel appreciated and you can see the enthusiasm. And if you think that you're not going to get some of their best work, you are. When I hired Danny Mickey, Danny Mickey was, I believe, from my memory, Danny Mickey was making $15 to $20 for doing all the backgrounds on the pages that he was... Uh, doing background inks for. He was a background inker. Maybe some figures. I saw his work. I met him at a comic store. I had him come meet with me. I extended to him an offer. And I think Danny Mickey will be uh, uh, will, will, will be able to uh, verify that I was paying him in the $300 a page inking rate. Inking rate. So that when he inked over my work in 1992, 1993, 1994, 1995... Uh, and many of the times I wanted to and would continue to and did in fact ink my own faces. If it was a face that was three quarters of the page, that was me. If there was two other figures b battling, that was him. There's a lot of, I mean, inking the figures and the backgrounds and the weapons and, and all that stuff. Danny had his hands full. I have a very distinct way that I want my faces to look. Men, women, children, whatever beasts, uh, I, I choose to ink them myself. I, uh... He was just doing the figure work and I was giving him 300, maybe 275. I thought it was more like $300 a page. At a time when inkers were making 100 to $125 a page. Uh, as guys signed on, John Sabal, Norm Ratman, other guys, I, I jammed up their rates as well. I wanted to be known as the guy that, uh, and, 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 and I was told several times that, that these numbers are obscene, that they're not, you know, that they're not a good way to run a business, but I was trying to reward my talent with as much as I could. And I know that money made a difference. I mean, a guy like a Jeff Matsuda, who has now been uh, currently, I did an entire podcast on all the guys at Extreme that went on to more media jobs. Andy Park would be kind of the, uh, ha having the highest profile of those gigs right now with his, um, title as, as, uh, I mean, it's some calling him head of design or concept art. It's not enough. He's got a really important title at Marvel. He oversees a lot of visual development. Um, he started at Extreme Studios. Jeff Matsuda started at Extreme Studios. Jeff Matsuda is, um, producing and was the showrunner of the recent animated He-Man, uh, cartoon that was on Netflix. And, um, people really dig it. I've seen all the great reaction to it. Jeff did the Batman, the Batman. Uh, animated series that followed the Bruce Tim one that was on in the early 2000s that people really have um, a great affection for because for many of the youth, like my kids, that was their first Batman cartoon. They couldn't have experienced the Bruce Tim stuff because they weren't alive. They, my, my, my sons were born in 2000 and 2002. So if they saw a Batman cartoon in 2005 and it reflected Jeff Matsuda's stylistic renderings and, 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 and design work, which it did, you know, that's the Batman that they identify with. When Jeff Matsuda came to work at Extreme Studios, and I've covered this, 
I paid him like $300 a page. Uh, oh, what am I saying? Sorry, sorry. It was $600 a page. It was $600 a page. Jeff flipped out and drew the book in about three days. And then I gave him another and he drew that one in about four days. And the quality didn't suffer at all. He was so unique and talented and amazing. But he uh, ended up getting a car and a condo within two months of working for me because the money was flowing that much. And I felt no um, sense of Jeff didn't have a contract with me. There was no exclusive terms. He could come and go as he pleased. And on the day he walked out the door and wanted to go draw an X-Men book for Marvel, he did. It was a handshake. Thank you. Go with God. And he was gone. Um, because he had no, you know, I did not seek something exclusive out of him. But it got around that I paid really good rates. And that $600 a page, if you're doing 22 pages and you can do it in three days, you're making a good living. Marat Michaels told me one time he did layouts for me and in one weekend came back and I think it was $10,000 in just layouts. And why am I telling you this? Not to make me, not not to make, uh, these are all in the past. The color of stuff that I've told you about is right now. I feel it's an appreciation. And that's just, this is, so this is number one. If you can, when you can, do it. Overpay. Overcompensate your 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 talent. Um, art's a weird gig. Money is not always easy to come by. So if you can supply a good compensation better than the mo- most compensation, when I was paying Jeff six hundred dollars, he would have been making about one hundred and twenty as a starting penciler at Marvel or DC. Okay, these are um, so I knew what I was doing, and I definitely wanted it to be known that Rob Liefeld and his studio appreciated talent and would compensate very well for them. It served me well my entire career. I'm not going to stop anytime soon. And that's my number one thing that I have learned in comics. If you can overpay, do so. Number two is funny. Number two concerns a practice that when I was coming in, everyone was doing it. But then me and my generation started doing it and it became dirty and it became a sense of shame. And now it is one of the most celebrated uh, practices in the business. And that is swiping. I wrote down swiping was okay, then it was bad and shameful. Now it is okay again and wildly encouraged. Uh, Once a means to shame artists, now it is cause for celebration. When I was coming up, John Byrne, you've heard that name often, so maybe I haven't said it in a couple episodes, but John Byrne uh, would famously imitate artists that he liked, whether it was Neil Adams, mostly it was Jack Kirby. He would redraw Covers, I think John Byrne redrew the cover to Fantastic Four number one, the very famous Jack Kirby Fantastic Four number one cover. I think he redrew it and and had it published six times. Uh, One of those was for a fan publication, large magazine called Amazing Heroes. I think it was the first issue. But he also did it for numerous other Marvel publications, including the Fantastic Four, including What If. Uh, Multiple times over, he would repeat... Uh, drawing this one image. That is, by every definition, a swipe. It can also be an homage. An homage can be a swipe. A swipe can be an homage. It is when you are tipping your hat to something that came before. John Byrne uh, took a lot of elements of Neil Adams and Jack Kirby when he was coming up and, and in early issues drawn by Todd McFarlane. But way before I was breaking in, Early on in the Hulk, uh, Doc Samson, Hulk fight. It's out there on the internet. 
Doc Sampson was uh, Todd mimicked John Byrne himself. So John Byrne was imitating guys like Kirby and Neil Adams. And then Todd McFarlane is then imitating John Byrne's actual Hulk fight scenes with the same characters in the fight scenes. Frank Miller, early on in Daredevil, was taking direct swipes from other acrobatic characters drawn by Gil Kane. Uh, Iron Fist uh, 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 poses, shots, became Daredevil poses and shots. The work that Gil Kane did on Hawk and Dove when he was on that book early, like mid-60s uh, were used for staging of scenes and figures in, in, in Frank Miller's Daredevil. He was sourcing and picking out and... Um, you know, the, the, they were subtle, they were sly. George Perez was did issues where he would homage Jack Kirby's shots, storytelling, to, you know, get a point through. He didn't pick a new angle. He did the exact angle. It was an homage. Therefore, in this case, it was also a swipe. The point is, there's a bunch of people doing this stuff. Mike Zeck did an entire Captain America cover based on a Neil Adams Batman cover coming down the steps into the basement. Captain America is Batman, the same steps in the basement, the door is open, the person coming through is different, the staging, the line work, it's all the same. It wasn't attributed to after, you know, uh, Neil Adams, it just was the exact same shot. It was an homage and a swipe. When my issue of New Mutants 86, my very first issue, uh, I had done a cover to New Mutants 95 with all of the New Mutants rushing uh, Odin as he was in his Ode sleep. That's what they called it, Ode sleep, in his kind of sarcophagus. And so I had just done this original cover. I had done original covers on all the other stuff I'd done, whether it was Marvel Comics Presents, you know, uh, 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 Hawk and Dove, uh, whatever I had done, Warlord, Checkmate, Titans. I had done all sorts of covers. But this one, I thought, oh, this would be fun if I imitate the first... Like this, this great Vulture appearance. I don't know if it was the first one, but it was a Steve Ditko Spider-Man Vulture cover. And instead of Spider-Man, I'd, I'd make it Rusty from from the New Mutants. And I did, and it says after Ditko on there. I identified it on the cover. When it was ever on the cover, I would generally always put after the artist, even when other artists that I knew and favored uh, were doing the same thing, but not giving the acknowledgement. So it gets into this whole homage swipe. Well, the internet was born. And then, you know, by the time that I was giving openly, there's a sequence in New Mutants 100 where I openly, like, like you'd have to be an idiot to not think, no, that I was grabbing this Ronin shot from Frank Miller. It was my way of saying, I effing love this shot, Frank. I've got my own career. I'm doing very well in the New Mutants. But I want to show you, like, you're a badass and this is my homage to you. And then I did the same thing to George Perez, who was a huge influence on me. And, and it couldn't, it could not have happened in the darkness. I did it out in the oh, like light of day, basically saying, like, this is to honor you in the same way you honored Kirby or honored Gil Kane, you know, or honored Neil Adams. I'm honoring you. I'm showing you like, like you're a badass. I'm homaging this shot. And there was a lot of differences in, in, in the George Perez stuff. It was it was definitely an homage, but it's then now a dirty swipe. Look at that life. He can't think of shots himself. He has to steal. It's not stealing when you're trying to acknowledge, kind of give a tip of the hat, like, I got you here. Like, I honor you. Like, this is for you. 
The internet was born. All these pictures were in anybody who'd ever done it and I, not, way beyond me. You're dirty. You're a swiper. You're a stealer. You're, you know, swiping suddenly became shameful. When the generation before us, like nobody gave John Burns side eye for every Jack Kirby swipe. And oh my gosh, I mean, there's tons. There are tons in his Fantastic Four, his Fantastic Four run alone. He tips, nods to Kirby all the time. As a kid, I saw it. I knew it because I had those Kirby reprints. But who cares? I saw what he was doing. He's John freaking Bernie. He runs in his own lane. So if he pulls some some fun homages in, who cares? Well, none of that matters anymore. Because I don't know if you've noticed, if you were listening to this podcast in 2021, but, you know, uh, swipes are the currency of the day. I Marvel was relaunching. Star Wars, when they got the license back in 2015, it was a big deal. It hadn't been with them in over 20 years. They're getting the license back. They, they got it back from, from, from Dark Horse because now Disney owns Star Wars and Marvel Comics, so they wanted to have the synergy. Well, one of the first things I saw was there was a New Mutants 98 Star Wars homage. It 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 was Boba Fett, and, 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 and instead of Cable... And the New Mutants reacting to Boba Fett and the Bounty Hunters. It was Luke and Han and Leah and it's after Liefeld and it's it's awesome. But that was just the tip of the iceberg. Nowadays, whether it's Spider-Man 300, whether it's Jim Steranko's famous Hulk cover, whether it's the cover to Avengers 4 with Cap and the Avengers, I mean, Alex Ross routinely recreates, which by the very definition is a swipe, is also an homage. I've done it. There's no condemnation here. You can clearly understand. I don't think it's a big deal. But there was a period of a decade where people tried to turn this into shameful. Well, that is over. Now there are guys who mimic covers that came out last year as if it's an important cover and immediately turn that into a new homage because they want to identify with and be a popular comic book. My friend Marat Michaels has, and this is going to actually fold into my next point. When, what he is doing also folds into my next point. Actually, kind of bleeds out of this subject into the next. He has a very popular line of collectible comics he does. And um, uh, uh, something with who, uh, crap, who to poo. Uh, but, but he always is homaging. He'll go on Facebook and say, what should I homage next? And people enthusiastically give him ideas and then he executes those and people buy them up because they want the familiar idea with the kind of humor that Marat brings to it in his homaging of like let's say the latest cover of Venom or a or or, or a Batman cover uh, I've seen you know stuff that Jim Lee did on Superman and Batman is now homaged and it is said look at this homage and John Byrne X-Men covers are homage oh my gosh Hulk 181, that is up there with Spider-Man 300 and New Mutants 98 and New Mutants 87 as one of the most. There are at least 20 New Mutants 87, my cable with the bullet, okay, that the gun sights. The gun sights is what makes the shot. If you are doing the gun shots, you are doing Rob Liefeld's New Mutants 87 cover. Uh, the the Spider-Man 300, the Todd the character in the circle, I mean, are we at 60? 
Are we at 100? I mean, there's a lot of those. It may be the most one. And then right on the tail is uh, is Hulk 181, the very first Wolverine versus Hulk with Wendigo. But a lot of people are literally just redrawing that cover as Hulk and, and Wolverine and Wendigo. Like, hey, I just wanted to do this. They're not swapping out Batman, you know, with Bane. It's, it's, this is my version of Hulk and Wolverine. And they're doing it for some variant, you know, some variant contractor somewhere. Okay. Cause they're all over the place. Some are painted, some are, you know, penciled and inked. Um, it's all different variations, but swiping. I mean, again, last night as I logged off of Facebook, someone was showing yet another. And I mean, there's been a, a bunch of the, uh, Jim Steranko famous cover with Hulk propping up the Hulk logo on his back. Um, Todd McFarlane actually did an entire year of Spawn swipes. Some were his own covers. He did Youngblood, the cover to Youngblood number one. Um, you know, um, Image Comics was celebrating the, 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 you know, the anniversary of, of, of Image Comics and, and Robert Kirkman and his Skybound, he homaged Brigade, Youngblood, um, so many of these covers, I mean, Youngblood's been homaged dozens of times. Um, I mean, I think once you get into the 15, the 20, I mean, you know, it, that, that image has seen a lot of, the, and I don't mean that image by the Youngblood cover. I mean, whatever cover, whatever image is being swiped and it gets into the twenties, 20 times, uh, maybe just 10. I mean, everybody has a different bar. It's like, it's a lot. It's a lot. Like I said, probably 30 New Mutants 87, but Spider-Man 300 is probably the most, I would say, then X-Men, I mean, uh, Hulk Hulk 181 follows. Um, the Punisher, the very first Punisher appearance is another, but I mean, Alex Ross, I've seen him just recreate, homage, swipe. Everybody's done it. No one is clean. No one has a pure record here. So when somebody tries to look, the next time somebody tries to look down, their nose at you on swiping, just laugh at them because the industry is built in it. Now they prefer it. They want it. They want the swipes. I have been asked to swipe. I am currently debating whether I'm going to do a bunch of covers that swipe my own images. Okay. Um, and people get excited about them. You, the consumer get excited about them. You, the fan get excited about them. I get excited about them when they're good and when they're not beating it, you know, absolutely beat into the ground. Frank Miller's, uh, cover to Wolverine. Number one is another really popular one. Um, I just had another one that's super uh, popular and, and super prevalent right now. Oh, Giant Size X-Men number one. Dave Cockrum, Gil Kane, Giant Size X-Men number one is another one that is just um, always, always being recreated. So, again, what have I learned? I've learned that swiping was okay in the 60s, 70s, and then it was bad in the 90s because the internet got to put images side by side and, and have a run with them. And, and like, go, look at this guy. Um, look at, look at, look at, he's lazy. He's a swiper. He's a stealer. He's a thief. Well, that's not happening anymore because it's not only okay, it's encouraged and it's celebrated and it no longer denotes shame. That's something I've learned in 35 years. One of the five things I've learned in comics. So number three, be bold. Easy. Two words, be bold. What does that mean? What I said about Marat Michaels, he goes out, who to poo, who, who, who you poo his poo book. Um, you can't miss it. It's out there. It's in the collectible realm. Um, 
the uh, the the he will say, hey guys, what, what, you know, which cover should I should I homage? And 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 he's talking direct to consumers who go, well, I'd like this, whether it's a Batman, a Wonder Woman, whatever you figure, Star Wars, and they're doing it. And he does it, and he does a short run, he does a limited run, he does a long run, whatever, and they sell out. And he does very well with this practice. That's being bold. He's being bold. Uh, being bold is, uh, is is sometimes knowing which job you want and deciding that you're going to go for that no matter what. Um, you you want to, you know, am I being bold right now? I, I, I was hoping to do runs on certain DC icons in my career. I've given it up. In that manner, I will no longer be bold. Um, was I bold when Marvel came to me and asked me to do a bunch of D- Deadpool 30th anniversary stuff? I said, yeah, I'll be happy to do that. Thank you. That's awesome. That's great. I love it. But I also need to do an X-Force 30th to honor them. And C.B. Sabowski says, I love it. You know what? Let's do it. There was no fighting. That's not part of being bold. Sometimes just clearing your throat and asking for something is this industry's version of being bold. You don't need to be John Byrne and leave the company behind and go relaunch Superman and make it start make make sure it starts at number 1. But sometimes you just got to go, "Hey, can I do this too?" Like that's a boldness. That's a I'd like to ink myself. I'd like to ink my work now and 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 can we adjust the schedule so that I can do that so it's a more pure representation of myself. Maybe you're a writer, maybe there's an artist you want to work with and that artist is under an exclusive of that company so you have to go through that company to get to that artist. So you talk to that artist, then you talk to the company and then they all come together and make it happen. That's called being bold. It's just putting one foot in front of the other and getting what you believe that you would like. And again, in my case, if I don't ask CB, CB was completely like, Rob, that's a great idea. Here's another be bold. I asked that they announce a project in November in June, which is not likely. And they even said, Rob, this is not likely. We don't normally do this. I said, well, it's June 25th is the actual 30th anniversary date. They were kind enough to comply and to cooperate and to grant me my wish. And that's what they did. They didn't have to. They did. But I had to ask and and, and they were like, oh, we didn't know. And, and why would they? Okay, let's sidebar. Why would they? It's not like there's not a million other things to do coming out of a pandemic like we were last summer in the first kind of real emergence of coming out of a pandemic in summer of 2021. We thought we were maybe doing it in 2020. We weren't. 2021, we felt better about it. We got our fairs back. Our, you know, our amusement parks were open. So, so I mean, again, everybody's got a lot to do. They got a lot of books to put out. They got a lot, a lot of comic books to plan. So it's not like they were supposed to know it, but I knew it because it's personal to me. So I said, could I do this on, can we announce that we're doing this on on June 25th? And they said, sure. It's just normally we don't do five months out announcements. We do them closer to two months out, you know, but they're like, well, we're going to do this. That was me being bold. And they were bold in, in, in riding along in the car with me or giving me the car to drive, whichever, whatever one works. Be bold. Be bold is number three. You could put that in any business. Be careful, but be bold. Number four, okay? This is maybe the most important one, even though I said they're all the same. Do what you want. Draw what you want. Write what you want. Not what you think others want or what others want out of you. This truism is maybe the one that I am the most passionate about. These others are... Overpay people when you can, if you can. That's That benefits everybody involved. 
Swiping was okay, then it was shameful, now it's celebrated. That's an observation. Be bold is is a high, is a recommendation. This is maybe the highest possible recommendation. Do what you want, draw what you want, write what you want, not what you think others want and not what others want you to do, write, draw, whatever. You got to follow your muse. That's where you're going to get your most, um, you know, your most play. Walt Simonson knew that if he was going to take over Thor, he needed to create a horse alien that was able to wield the power of Thor. And he gave him a funky name called Beta Ray Bill. And I know, I don't think in any, you know, pitch meeting ever would that have really flown. Hey, everybody, I got a, last night I was up at night and Beta Ray Bill. Beta Ray Bill is the way to go. Oh, also, he looks like a horse. Um, Look, man, that's just, that's just Walt doing his thing. Frank Miller takes over Daredevil, decides that oh, I'm going to introduce this romantic interest from his past that's kind of uh, dictated a ton of heartache and misdirection in his life, who has also reemerged as an assassin who may or may not be trying to kill him. And her name's going to be Elektra. That is a guy doing what he wants. He took over Daredevil. He said, I'm going to make this Bruce Lee movies. I'm going to make this martial arts, grindhouse, crime, Yakuza, um, you know, mob drama. And he transformed Deadpool. De- <laughs> Sorry. It's the D's. He transformed Daredevil and made it into the Daredevil that we still enjoy today. He knew that Batman needed to be a guy who had retired and needed to come out of a controversial, you know, exile in order to electrify the world again in the Dark Knight. If somebody else had that idea, well, they didn't get around to it. And it's because they didn't have that idea. He did. Uh, I knew that the outdated New Mutants needed a upgrade from, you know, the bottom to the top. And, uh, and I, I gave it to him and I gave him a teacher that I was told look too old. We need to make him look younger. Cable looks too old. Kids aren't going to like an old guy. People love an old guy. Look at Clint Eastwood at the time, especially, I mean, Clint Eastwood, he wasn't like the old, old, old guy that he is now. And I'm old and I can say that about him because he's super duper old, but you know, gray haired, receding hairline, badass spikes on his glove, big giant guns comes from the future. You got to do what you want. You got to do what you want. Follow your muse. Um, Image Comics wasn't certain about a zombie, you know, comic book, but Robert Kirkman made certain that he was going to follow his muse. And he was going to do a zombie comic book, but he was going to do it more like a Western. And it took the world by storm and continues to take the world by storm. Because the last time I looked, there's a hundred hours, you know, of Walking Dead every year. It's insane. Video games, everything. Follow your muse. Write what you want. Draw what you want. Above all else, first for and foremost. And you're going to get the most success out of it. Somebody else trying to figure out what the audience wants. The audience doesn't know what they want. The audience will will know what they want uh, when they like what you're doing for them because you hit an instinct they didn't know that they needed. Okay. Um, nobody knew that they needed a space opera that was part Eastern, you know, samurai and part cowboy, but George Lucas did and he mashed it all up and he gave it to us. And it's a phenomenon of a lifetime. Nobody was making fantasy movies, but Peter Jackson was turned down by 20th Century Fox, Warner Brothers, Universal, Sony, Miramax, lowly New Line Studios, 
remade themselves by saying, we'll do those Lord of the Rings movies, even though nobody's doing fantasy. And, uh, you know, do what you want. Just be true to yourself. Trying to figure out what everybody else wants, what's going to be successful, is not going to work for you because we've all seen taste change. In the uh, in my favorite music documentary of all time about the Eagles, Don Henley coldly looks into the mirror. I mean, looks into the viewer as if he's into looking at his own reflection and talking about all the differences that happened in the band. The number one band in the world, by the way. He said, time passes, things change. Times, time passes, things change. Four most important words I ever heard. Time passes, things change. Tastes change. Some things come back. Some things don't. A guy correctly in a thread by my fellow image founder, Eric Larson. He was talking about nostalgia in 90s and 70s and 80s. And a guy jumped in there and said, it's true. When the clone saga was reignited, following up its kind of soft initiation in the 70s from Spider-Man when it was really put on the big stage in the 90s. Everyone really had a bad reaction to it. Oh, this is cheap and crass. And Except they forgot all those kids who were reading Spider-Man at the time really liked it. And it was well done. So now when you bring up the Clone Saga and the clones and Ben Riley and all that stuff, the fans who were around in the 90s who are still buying comics now, and there's plenty of them, they get excited. The Clone Saga is something they love. So something that people thought was condemned. I've seen it myself. Those Heroes Reborn comics are electric to people. They love it because they remember being excited about Captain America for the very first time. I talk about my own stuff because it's the stuff I have the most personal, um, you know, bond with. I, 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 again, I can tell you about how I reacted to Frank Miller and Walt Simonson's work and how I reacted to Marvel in their launch of a bold new international team with the X-Men and how it turned around a franchise I had zero interest in and made it my favorite comic book of my life, okay? That is, you know, doing what you want, drawing what you want, writing what you want, not trying to please others, not trying to do what you think other people want. Follow your own instincts. They may be the next global, giant, worldwide phenomenon. Finally, that's number four. I've said it enough, write what you want, draw what you want. Don't try and do what others want or what others tell you what they think others want. Stay true. So that's number four. Number five, promote yourself. You think, uh, I my, my daughter, God bless her, she's so awesome. Because of her, I was able to go to some really fantastic concerts. Bruno Mars, I wouldn't have gone to Bruno Mars, but I took her and her friends, you know, in 2017. Uh, at the, at the forum, we had like eighth row seats. They were great. I could not believe I liked Bruno Mars. I loved, I loved all his music. I was a huge Bruno Mars fan, but I never thought I would be so impressed by him as a live performer. And he was off the charts. He was amazing. That same year, my daughter and her friends that, that summer, actually 2018, it was the week after, no, it was the week of Deadpool two coming out. We'd been in New York for the premiere. We'd come back. I had hosted a couple screens of Deadpool locally. And it was Saturday night. It was time for the second night of Taylor Swift's Rose Bowl, uh, sellout Rose Bowl soul show. And we had great seats for that too. And I took my daughter and her two friends and we got a car and we got dropped off. And it was so fun. And it was just great to just treat my daughter to this really fun experience and appreciate Taylor Swift on a level I never had before. I mean, this woman rocked uh, the 70,000 people in attendance to see her. I mean, the Rose Bowl can hold almost 100, but obviously she can't, 
you know, face everybody. So part of the Rose Bowl is, you know, cordoned off, you know, behind curtains. That's where all the magic is happening and, you know, where they service the stage that looks out on the other three quarters of the Rose Bowl. And I could not believe this young 25-year-old woman was rocking 70,000 people nonstop for two and a half hours. I was blown away by Taylor Swift. Why am I bringing up Taylor Swift? Because last in the last week, she has moved heaven and earth to promote her re-recording of, a, of an album as she is seeking to control her musical destiny. And the red Taylor's version and her video that she directed herself that features the new version, her 10-minute performance on Saturday Night Live, her video that Blake Lively uh, directed with her unreleased song, you know, I, I Bet You Think About Me to then last night I was treated to a yet another version of um, All Too Well. I think it's the third or fourth version she's released in the last week. She is marketing herself. She is at, she is everywhere, putting herself in her face, shoving herself onto everyone's plate, saying, come on, take it, sample this, sample this, sample this. She's ridiculously successful. She's made hundreds of millions of dollars just, just touring alone in the last decade. She is fabulously wealthy, but she is promoting herself nonstop because she wants to get her stuff in front of yours, of your face, your eyes, your pocketbook, because she knows how competitive it is out there and it is competitive. And she is aware of how many different elements are asking for your hard-earned dollars, but she wants them to support her endeavors. So because she obviously needs to, you know, post profits and get results and chart and all that happens if you are buying her re-recorded album and she is out there in full force same way Adele does a two-hour one-night-only special on CBS that blew my mind that looked like it was directed by James freaking Cameron the sweeping cinematography cinematography that she employed while filming her special at the Griffith Observatory was breathtaking and it's in front of Leonardo DiCaprio and Lizzo and Ellen and Seth uh, Seth Rogen and and uh, James Corden and uh, Drake. I mean, it, it, like it was the who's who, who's who, at the Griffith Observatory a week ago where she taped that, and 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 her voice filled the canyons. I have friends who live right next to the Hollywood sign who were like, it was like we were getting a concert in our backyard that night. Adele is letting you know that for the first time in six years she's dropping another album, and she is coming at you with all the energy she can muster. Because she wants to reassert herself onto the scene. And um, again, sometimes it's all about the flex. I, when I have a project, I try to promote it as relentlessly as I possibly can because I know what's competing for everyone's time and I want to break through. And it's extra effort and your and your throat may dry up because you've given so many interviews and you're exhausted because you've, you know, talked about your project ad nauseum. These actors, when they do these junkets and they sit and they give the same interview 10 times in the same day. It, ex- it is exhausting. It is a very acute mental focus. You can say, oh, but the, but, but the big stars are getting paid a lot of money. It doesn't change the fatigue factor. That doesn't change the, the, the repeatingly selling of the same thing in the same way over and over and over again can wear you down. But they do it because they understand the benefit of promotion. You got to make your name and you got multiple platforms as a creator. You got Instagram, you got TikTok. I saw... I saw a TikTok with a guy cooking meat on a piano last night. And I watched it five times. I couldn't stop watching the guy. He's like, I'm cooking meat. Well, 
playing the piano. Look, I can walk and play the piano and cook meat. The voiceover, it's... <laughs> The voiceover itself was just enough to just rock me. I was so entertained. But it came to me via TikTok. Instagram. Now, I saw it because a guy shared it on Instagram. And then I went and saw the full video on TikTok, Facebook, Twitter. You guys, all these platforms are here to promote. So, promote yourself. It's pretty simple. Figure it out. The more creative you can be, the better. And if by saying this, and everyone saying this, everyone ups their promotional game good, then we're all the better for it. It's called touring. You may have to go to a bunch of conventions. You may have to go, you know, uh, do store signings. And and it's it's the same as politicking. You're out there. You're meeting people. You're pressing the flesh. You're promoting your work, your art. Do it. Number one, overpay talent if you can, when you can. Why not? That generosity will be appreciated beyond the moment that it is initiated. Number two, swiping was okay. Then it was bad. And it was shameful. And now it's okay, it's encouraged, and it's celebrated. That's number two. Number three, be bold. We covered that. Number four, do what you want. Draw what you want. Write what you want. Not what others, not what you think others want or what others think you should give them. Okay? And five, promote yourself. That's the five things I've learned in comics. The most important things I've learned in comics these 35 years. And I'm so glad that I was able to share them with you today. Guys, I hope that you take them to heart. Every one of them is true. All of them. Uh, Utilize them. Maybe reorganize them. uh, Apply them if you can in the arts. Like I said, we live in a, a genre, a business where we don't have to grow up. I don't have to leave the the house ever, especially now I can have everything brought to my door. Amazon can bring the chair and the desk and, you know, uh, all the different food services can, can drop that stuff off at my door. But, you know, we're not complete recluses, but again, we're not driving on the lots. We're not doing sign-in sheets. We're not getting past security guards and, I'm, and no one's giving me a COVID shot, a COVID test in my own house to produce work on my board um, every single day. It is a wish fulfillment business. But if it goes beyond and you're in music and you're in movies and you're in television, then so much of what I just said, it applies the same. It's not just for us reclusive comic book wizards, okay? You guys, thanks so much for listening. Hope you get something out of this show. (laughs) I sure do. I sure hope you guys get something out of this. I enjoy bringing this with you. You guys, this is the time of the show. When I read... Your reviews. We need those reviews. You know we do. You know we do. I tell you we do because we do. We need them to help with our platform. We need five stars. We need subscriptions. We need, we need reviews. You guys are so great about sharing them and 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 giving me your very best. And I appreciate it. And um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read this uh, from my buddy Bill, also known as Guillermo Carlos One Three Two. I'm not going to read the entire one. This is fairly long, but I'm going to, he's very kind. I'm going to share this with you. This is why I read your reviews. You write them, you share them. I read them at the end of every episode. Amazing podcast by Guillermo Carlos 132, also known as Bill. Uh, it says amazing podcast. He gives us five stars. Rob, absolutely loving your podcast. This is the third time 
I am leaving a review for you. Please keep up the great work. I listen to all of your podcasts and I am fascinated with several things, but the biggest one is your vast catalog of characters that you have created. I have a few questions. I'm wondering if you could you could you could do a podcast on this and answer some of these questions. Who is the favorite character of all time that you have created? Who is the character that you created that when you created them, you thought for sure they'd be a huge hit, but it didn't turn out that way? Who is your favorite character that you have created that has not yet broke through? Um, Who is your favorite character or characters to draw that you have created? Who are some of your lesser known characters that you have created that you absolutely love their story? He says, anything else you'd like to speak on about the vast catalog of characters that you've created would be great. I skipped a couple of the questions to get down here to the end. What got me thinking about this was your great podcasts, multi-part podcast I may add, on Cable and Deadpool. And in one of those, you mentioned Blood Wolf. I absolutely love Blood Wolf and that darker image comic. In fact, I have 50 copies of it along with several CGC copies and signed copies from you since I have always loved Blood Wolf as a character. And it got me thinking, what were the favorite characters that you created? Thank you. And, and I'll say this in the voice you want to hear this in because you wrote it, let the Bronco buck, which is a statement that Todd McFarlane shared with me in the L boys. I think I covered that in a great podcast called the L boys. Let the Bronco buck is what, uh, you got to put it in context. It's something Todd told me that is as true today as it was then. I'm going to tell you something, Bill, AKA Guillermo Carlos, one, three, two blood wolf is out there in a big way. I'm doing some big things with Blood Wolf right now. Hopefully you'll hear about them sooner than later. It, I, I think they'll be a very pleasant surprise to you. Blood Wolf is on the docket. You guys, thank you so much for listening. Leave your reviews. I will read them at the end of every show. I am on Twitter as Robert Leifeld. Full, very proper name, Robert Leifeld with a blue check. Says it's really me. On Instagram, I am at Rob Leifeld. Blue check. It's really me. I love your comments. I love the the discussions that we have, the back and forth. I am all over Facebook. This podcast, Rob Observations with Rob Leifeld, has a Facebook page. Go to it. Like it. Ask me questions. Let talk, let's talk there. I am all over Facebook and other groups on my own personal page. I have a Rob Leifeld uh, extreme group. Please join these groups. Interact with me. Talk with me. I love hearing from you guys. It is such a delight. It is so much fun. Um, X-Force. Kill Shot, the 30th anniversary, is going to be coming your way in the next few days. It is one of my favorite jobs. It wasn't even a job. One of the favorite efforts, creative endeavors I ever took on. And I hope to enjoy uh, that you guys will enjoy that and, and, and get to share that with you soon. You guys, this is the time of the podcast where you tell me that you're going to take care of yourself. I believe you. You're going to. You're going to get your mental fitness, your emotional fitness. You're going to, you're going to keep them first and foremost at the center of just just be well. Take care of yourself. Make sure that you're okay. And you're going to stay safe. And we are going to talk again real soon. 